The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. So excited to be with you here on Voice America. Remember, this program is about turning your obstacles into opportunities and your problems into solutions and making your dreams come true. Each week, we interview amazing people who will really help to transform your lives. You can give us a call if you're listening live today on June 15th at 866-472-5787. Today we are talking to a novelist. I don't always talk to novelists, but I'm talking to a terrific novelist. Her book is called Sea Changes, and her name is Gail Graham. And it's it's a really interesting novel. Uh, Gail Graham is the author of six books published in the United States and in Australia, where she lived and worked for 32 years. And her book has been translated into several languages. And let me tell you about this story. When Sarah's husband dies suddenly, she's left with no anchor and no focus. Grief is an ever-present companion in counseling a weekly chore with minimal results. She wants to end her life. But her attempted suicide takes Sarah to an underworld where she finds comfort, friendship, and acceptance. Afterwards, back on the beach, after she almost died, she decides, was it a dream? Was she hallucinating or was she going mad? And in her efforts to make sense of this experience, she becomes suspect in the kidnapping of an, of an heiress, which we'll talk about. But her worlds are colliding, and what Seach Changes does is it's a passionate look at one woman's struggle with her grief and independence. And the hope is that it will inspire readers to believe that anything is possible. Welcome, Gail. Hi. All right. So we're talking about Sarah Andrews, who feels lost and abandoned, and her daughter wants her to move on, or a psychiatrist wants her to heal her wounds, and all she wants to do is die. So she um, goes out to the sea and tries to drown, correct? Yes, that's right. Uh, but she doesn't drown, of course. Um, Sarah is a widow. She's lost her husband. Uh, the grief, the terrible grief that you feel is then followed by something very, very strange that only happens to women. You disappear as a person. The widow disappears. People no longer see you. You're not a part of the couple anymore, and that's how people saw you. So you don't, your friends sort of stop calling, and they, and they don't invite you over because now you're, you're a single woman, and nobody wants the odd woman at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. And you may have financial problems that you never faced. People will tell you, you've got to move out of your house. It's too big for you now that you're alone. Mm-hmm. And you become a category, and that is the second great loss. Yes. And you yourself are a widow yes. and lost a child, so yes. those are two big losses. Yes, they are. They are indeed. And it's out of those losses that sea changes grew. Do, 
Did you ever contemplate uh, suicide the way that this woman does in the book? Absolutely. And the only reason I didn't take my own life is because I was the sole support of my severely disabled son. And if I died, he would have nobody. And we were in Australia, and Australia is a country where they don't do things like rehabilitation. So it, it would have been terrible. and that was So in a way, Gail, your son saved you. Yes, oddly enough, yes. Because mm. I'm so, certain that I, I, I would not have survived it. Yeah, because it was that difficult being alone and losing the husband and financial support. Talk about what happens to this woman, and her name is Sarah Andrews. When she goes underwater and is exposed to this new world? Well, the idea of the new world is that it could well be in her imagination. And I think imagination and dreams are very, very powerful tools for, for healing yourself when you've been hurt and also for remaking yourself and rejuvenating yourself and bringing hope and happiness back into your life when you think they're gone. So I used that. I used imagination. And does it matter whether it's real or not? Because when she comes back from this experience, which she may have really had or she may not have had, and this is very much up to the reader each step of the way, she is kind of already starting to be a different person. She's starting to be that new person that she has to become because the old Sarah, her life is gone. I want to share something and ask you a question. You know, when you talk about how in the underworld she sees this beautiful young heiress and this beautiful woman, and this woman in some way enlightens her. Her name is Bantred, and she comes back with her uh, in, the, in the dream or in the, in the underwater state. And, you know, so many times, I know even therapists will use techniques, Gail, of asking you to do these kinds of images. I mean, I've done techniques where the, the, the therapist will say, now I want you to think of this incredible image that brings you light. And I know that I've had in my vision like a fairy godmother. And then the, then the, the, the practice or the, um, the practice during the week is to see that person and to feel that light and love coming from that person and to see yourself in that light and in a way, it's very similar to what you're talking about. Yes, it is. Now, that is an exercise. Okay, now take that a step further and imagine that somehow that person is materialized and is sleeping on your couch. Mm. That's what happens in sea changes. Mm. And Sarah also has a very unsympathetic daughter who is kind of a foil for Bantred. And her daughter's name is Felicity. And Felicity just wants Sarah to get on with it. It's just like that other voice, yes. but it's a real voice. Yes. So in one, so she's being pulled in two different directions. Absolutely, because and we have Bantred, the perhaps mythical or imaginary or full of love figure, is in the real world. She is in Sarah's world, and she causes problems in Sarah's world. She causes problems for Sarah. Not deliberately, but just because of her existence and because she doesn't know how to behave in this world. So she does materialize Bantred into a real person. Yes. So the daughter sees a real person. 
Yes, but now, here's the question. But how do we explain where she comes from? Okay. Now, just at this time, and the story is set in Australia, at this very moment, an heiress, a teenage heiress, has gone missing, has, has vanished. And everybody is in a great state of, of upset because this is the daughter of the wealthiest man in Australia. And this girl looks a lot like Bantrit. So, is it possible, isn't it possible, that in fact this girl that Sarah thinks is so wonderful is really the missing heiress, whose name is Jennifer Blanchard? And might, might Sarah just have picked up this, this, this girl on the beach and given her this identity, or is it really Blanchard, or is it Jennifer Blanchard? Of course, everybody around Sarah thinks it's Jennifer Blanchard and that Sarah is aiding and abetting a runaway. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so the story gets very complicated. The plot gets very complicated. Gail, how do you, how, do this, how does it come to you? Is it, it, does, it, does the story just appear in your head? Do you, how does it happen in your brain? Okay, the way this happened was that after my husband died, I couldn't write. Mm. And I'm not talking about, like, for a year or two. I'm talking about it was gone. And when I say I couldn't write, I mean I couldn't write fiction. I wrote a fair bit of nonfiction. But I couldn't tell stories anymore. That imagination was was just gone. Mm. And that was terribly, terribly frustrating, especially after two or three or four years had passed. Mm. And... I started accepting that, you know, I'm, I'm not a writer anymore. Uh, but what did happen is I had incredible, extraordinary, detailed dreams. And when I say detailed, I mean I would move through houses and cities, and I could describe the houses room by room, the furnishings, the cities. I seemed to know the roads. I'd never been to these places. Uh, people would come into my dreams. They were all very, very clear. If I were an artist, I could have drawn pictures of them. Mm. None of them were people I knew, and none of the dreams seemed to make sense. I was either trying to catch a train or I was in a shop. Or, it, they didn't seem to have any symbolism, but they were so detailed. And out of sheer frustration, I started just writing down my dreams. I started just every morning writing down every detail I could remember of my dreams. And even though it wasn't really writing, it, it sort of eased that great ache for something that was gone. And then one morning when I was doing this, I just got this picture in my mind of Sarah walking along, walking determinedly along this um, footpath, as they call them in Australia, sidewalk, toward the beach. And I started writing about her, and that's how it began. Mm. But, but I had no idea where the story was going. So you had pieces of it in a dream, and then you filled the rest in. Well, I just had Sarah, really. I started with Sarah walking towards the beach. And then when she walked, went into the water, I, I, I don't know really what I was planning. But then all of a sudden, Bantred appeared. And then the story just came. I mean, then, then it just seemed to be natural progression. This happened and that happened, and it made sense that something else And you happened. were able to remember your whole dream. Sometimes people can't. I, I've always been blessed with that faculty. I can remember five, six, seven of them a night oh. in great detail. So and I've that, always been able to do that. So in a lot of ways, that's, that's really helped you as well. 
Oh, yes. Uh, I, I used to escape in the early days of widowhood. I could just hardly wait to go to bed and dream. Interesting. Well, my guest today is Gail Graham. Her novel is Sea Changes, and it's really, um, it's really about, it's a passionate look at one woman's struggle with grief and independence, loss, love, and Sarah's search for hope. And it inspires people that anything's possible. Fascinating, lovely novel. You're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin right here on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned, folks. There's more. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america hey dad what i can't get the ketchup bottle open Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi everyone, we are back. You are listening to Positive Living and I'm Patricia Raskin. Right here on VoiceAmerica.com with a great show for you. You can give us a call if you're listening live on June 15th on Monday at 866-472-5787. We're talking to a novelist today and I often uh, work with, with authors who write nonfiction books But this has such a powerful message that I really want to share this with you today. My guest is Gail Graham, and Sea Changes is Gail Graham's seventh book. Her novel, Crossfire, has been translated into French, German, Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish and was awarded one of Germany's most prestigious literary prizes. And three of her books were New York Times Book of the Year recommendations. She was born and raised in the United States, but lived in Australia for 32 years. And she teaches at the, at the Institute for Retired Professionals and, uh, and several other places. And spends her time between Tucson and Mexico. How lovely, Gail. Yeah. And Gail has is, is written this novel to explore one woman's experience with loss, written by someone who's been there. You know, widowhood not only means losing one's spouse, sometimes it means the ability of not being able to cope. And so you went through this in your own life, 
And as you said in the first segment, Gail, your son who was disabled really needed you, and that was what really what kept you going. Yes. And you had some vivid dreams, which really started to create the story of this woman, Sarah, who's a widow and who is, is ready to die and goes into the ocean and ends up uh, not dying but goes under the ocean and meets uh, Bantred, who she's not sure she's hallucinating or whether or not this is her new companion. But then uh, back in real life for Sarah, this woman materializes in real form, doesn't she? Yes, she does. All right, explain a little bit more about this now. And But the, what complicates it is that Sarah's daughter doesn't like this woman and wants Sarah to get on with her life. Yes, another complication, of course, is the fact that while all this is happening to Sarah, uh, the daughter of the wealthiest man in Australia has run away. She's missing. Right. And this girl is the same age and bears quite a physical resemblance to Bantred. So we girl that Sarah met in the sea. So what we have to decide as readers, as we're working through the story, is does, does Bantred exist, or has Sarah somehow uh, linked up with this missing heiress, and is she just being used by this missing heiress? Who's well, playing? and I think my question to you is, do we ever find out? You don't have to tell us, but does the novel answer it, or do we have to answer that for ourselves? I guess the answer to that is both. All right. Well, we won't tell the answer. No. Um, because we want people to read the book. Um, sea Changes is set in Australia. Yes. Are women treated differently, or are there differences between, um, you know, you lived in both countries. Yes. So Sarah comments in the book, in the novel, on the differences between Australia, where she lived with her husband, and America, where she grew up. What would you say are cultural differences between the two countries? Well, the cultural differences are enormous. Uh, for the first and biggest one is the way men treat women and the way women treat men. In Australia, men and women do not like one another very much. Really? Really. Uh, there is nothing like romance. There is nothing like um, tenderness. Oh. Uh, they do not believe in what we call courtesy, you know, please and thank you and opening a door for someone or helping them. A, a very famous sociologist once said that Australians... I don't know the difference between civility and servility. So it's. No, very... I've never heard this before. So this is a new one for me. Oh yes, it's very very harsh. Uh, men hang out with men. Women hang out with women. This is even after you're married. Um, if you go to a party, all the men will be down at one end, and all the women will be up at the other end of the room, and you don't cross. In other words, a woman wouldn't walk in and try to mix with the men, and a man wouldn't mix with the women. Uh, they go out for nights out. All the women go out with their women friends. The men go out with their men friends. Uh, so it's very, very different from America. And it and there isn't any of what I call our romance. When we first moved to Australia in 1970, I remember when in February my husband went out because he wanted to buy me a Valentine. And he couldn't because there weren't any. Really? Really? Oh, it's so surprising. I, should, I, I suppose I should know this, but I've never heard it. Well, as my husband once observed, quite rightly, there are no heterosexual love stories in Australia that have a happy ending. And that's true. Did you see the movie Australia? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. Well, that's a love story, a sweeping, sweeping love story. Well... 
I, I didn't see it, so I can't comment, but I, I seem to remember it was something about people going to Australia from somewhere else. That's true. Yeah, well, see, they started somewhere else. True. What, uh, Gail, why do you think that is? Why um, do you think it's so different in the two countries? I mean, I can't imagine that you can't find a Valentine's card in Australia. Well, you can now, but you couldn't then. Um, and also, I think uh, the difference is partly my, my husband, again, even though he's been gone 20 years, many of the things he said were very wise. He had a theory about it, and he thought that what the problem was that many, many, many Australians um, suffer from a sort of a mild form of autism that's brought on by the fact that their mothers, when they were in, in utero, were drunk most of the time because Australians drink extremely heavily compared to Americans, mm. and they drink to the point of like passing out. Mm. When we drink socially, we're kind of kind of lubricating the evening. Mm, exactly. But when Australians drink in Australia, you haven't had a good time unless, as Australians would put it, you drink, you spew, you have sex. I won't use the other word, and you pass out, and then you've had a good time. Mm. I'm surprised you can do that. <laughs> Well, the, the, the third part, people. You, the third part, because usually when you've had that much to drink, uh, physically, uh, it's it's more difficult. Well, I uh, I did not date any Australians, <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't have wanted to be involved in, with Australian men because they because of this harshness and the roughness and the lack of tenderness. You know, it's it's interesting. In 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 my book, Pathfinding, my first principle is honor your heritage. And it's true. We do pick up a lot from our heritage. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, other values are different, too. Australians despise work, and they despise education. That's very different from America. Yeah, I have not heard these things, so that's an interesting thing. So how does that all play into the novel? Does that sort of Australian influence or mentality that you describe play into the novel. Yes, it does very much because many of the things that happen in the novel couldn't happen in America. Uh, For example, in Australia, Australians, unlike Americans, do not have a bill of rights. So you do not have the right to remain silent. You do not have the right to an attorney. And if the police decide to charge you with something, they charge you with something. And they have the rights. You don't. And if you can't afford to hire legal assistance, which is two people, a solicitor and a barrister, then you don't have, you go, you go up before the judge and you're found guilty and you go to jail. So it, it, it's a very different system. And I don't think many Americans appreciate how good our system is with all its faults and all the things that are wrong with it. Yes, I was thinking as you were talking about that, that there's a lot of good things about our system. When I came back in 2002, the first thing I did after we got out of the airport and I my little dog, and he was okay after surviving the cargo hold. Um, and I didn't care who saw me. I just knelt down and kissed the ground. Mm. That's how glad I was to be back in the United States. Well, it's good for people to hear. It really is. Yes, I think well, it's let's important. Let's go back to, um, to Sarah in the book, in the novel, um, where she is in Australia, and she has this woman, Bantred, who materializes... Um, talk about, there's a, a part in the book where she's in a very funny dating situation and she gets stuck with the tab. 
Yes. Um, is this based on personal experience? Do you find that um, some may, men date widows out of sympathy? What's your take on that? Not so much sympathy. Many of the men that I've encountered think they are doing the widow an enormous favor by taking her out. Huh. That she should just be grateful that there's a man. There seems to be this perception, and it's totally wrong, that when you're widowed, what you really want is another man, any man. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter who it is, just you want a man. Mm-hmm. And that is the furthest thing from the truth for most widows. Mm-hmm. If, if you loved your partner and your partner is gone, you, you don't you don't just replace him the way you replace the refrigerator when it makes puddles on the floor. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's a different mentality here in this country. It really is. Well, is that much, based on personal experience? The the dating was one of the few things that was personal experience in in, in sea changes. I did have a date with someone who basically stuck me with the check. In Australia. In Australia, he was Australian. You know, the sea and the underwater world that Sarah discovers during her suicide attempt become her main source of support and comfort. What resources or support groups do you think are available to widows? Well, another thing about Australians is they aren't big on support groups or self-help or any of the things that we find important. Uh, Australians just say, oh, well, happened, it happened. But you have to remember, Australians don't make a big emotional investment in anybody or anything. You know, you're generalizing this, and, and you really think that it... That, um... Oh, yes, I am generalizing it. I have some dear Australian friends who are totally the exception to the rule. But I'm talking about the way the society is. So, yes, I am generalizing. Hmm. And when you live in a society that is basically that way, even though there are people who are exceptions... It does shape the day-to-day life of everybody who lives in that society. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're talking to Gail Graham. Gail is the author of the novel Sea Changes. And she's the author of six books published in the United States and in Australia, where she lived and worked for 32 years. Her novel Crossfire has been translated into several languages. It was awarded one of Germany's most prestigious literary prizes. Three of her books were New York Times Book of the Year recommendations, and she has a lot of teaching. Her novel is about Sarah, and when Sarah's husband dies suddenly, she's left with no anchor and no focus. Grief is an ever-ending present, and she really tries to commit suicide through the ocean, but ends up coming back, and in that time in the ocean, meets this incredible woman, and she's not sure whether it is hallucination or whether it's real, but this woman does materialize in real life. So it's a very interesting story. It's a passionate look at one woman's struggle with grief and independence. Lost love and Sarah's search for hope will inspire us to really see that that things are possible, and certainly imagination and visualization about things that work for us and are beautiful really do help. You're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned, folks. You're listening to Positive Living right here on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Ask 
the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are, or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. If you're in jail, who'll be there to take care of your family? Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, it's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and pundit Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com everyone, we are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. I always have to say that I've been with Voice America. I was one of their first hosts back in 2001. I think there were 20 shows on the network, and now there are about 225 or more, probably more. And uh, it's grown tremendously. They have a beautiful homepage, and the shows are, are displayed beautifully. So really do take a look at that. Um, today we're talking about a novel. You know, I usually don't talk about novels. I'm usually so busy with nonfiction and how-to and how do you make your life work. But this is about how you make your life work, and it's done, it's done beautifully through a novel written by an award-winning novelist. My guest is Gail Graham. She's the author of Sea Changes, which is her seventh book. Her novel, Crossfire, has been translated into many languages. She was awarded one of Germany's most prestigious literary awards. And three of her books were New York Times Book of the Year recommendations. She was born and raised in this country in the United States, but lived in Australia for 32 years. And this book is really about sort of the meaning of widowhood, that it not only means losing one's spouse, but sometimes the ability to cope as well. And Gail Graham's new novel, Sea Changes, explores one woman's experience with loss, written by someone who is Gail, who's been there. Welcome back, Gail. Hi. All right. So let's talk. Um, let's talk about 
before the break, we talked about how that in the sea and underworld that Sarah discovers her suicide attempt becomes her main source of support, and that you would think of support in terms of support groups, and that she, in a sense, turned to the dream state for solace. Yes. Do you think, and you said that our country is very different from Australia in terms of support groups. Yes. Are there a lot of support groups in our country, and uh, what do you think about dreaming in terms of helping you? Yes, there are a lot of support groups for widows in in the United States. And in fact, if you just go online and Google widow support groups, you'll find dozens and dozens of them, which I think is wonderful. Um, And as for dreams, I think dreams are incredibly strong tools for growth and rejuvenation. I think we really should pay attention to our dreams. We should value them. Uh, We should savor them. I don't think we pay enough attention to our dreams. Our dreams take us to other worlds. And, you know, hundreds of years ago, shamans used their dreams to, to transport them into different times and different places and to bring back messages to their people, and they were greatly honored. And today, we, we, we don't honor anything that we can't sort of see or hear or touch or feel. And I feel that is a loss. And Sea Changes is kind of about that honoring of well, the other. Well, and, and you know, I, to this morning on, on another radio program that I host, I interviewed Marcy Shamoff, who wrote Happy for No Reason, and one of the things she talked about is the inner life, is that people who are happy have a happy inner life. And those people who rely on the externals, when those go away, they're not happy anymore. And she talked about how important it is to develop, you know, what it is inside of us that makes us feel good. And that's really what you're talking about as well. Yes, it is. And it happens to my character by accident, as it were. She is coping with situation after situation. And, of course, in this underworld world, which may or may not exist, there's also a man. And that man is very drawn to her, and she's very drawn to him. But does he exist? And she feels guilty about it. And at one point, um, her therapist says... It's a man in a dream. How can you feel? Why do you feel guilty? But she does because she's very drawn to this man. And so why does she feel guilty? Because she loved her husband. I see. How can how can she be drawn to anyone else when she loved her husband so much? Interesting. That's another theme, isn't it, in widowhood? Yes. That's another theme. You know, do you think, Gail? And this is a judgment. Do you think that spouses are? are doing each other a favor when they can release each other and say to each other, look, when I, when I go, I want you to be happy and I want you to find companionship. I think that they can say that and it's wonderful and I'm sure that's what my husband would have said. But I, I just don't think it always works that way. Mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes, in, in my case at least, I had such a happy marriage and we were such soulmates. We could mm. practically finish each other's thoughts, much less sentences. Mm. That I, I don't see, I don't see finding that with anyone else, and I don't think it would be fair to anyone else to to you know be looking for something that's not there. Now that having been said, I will probably walk out of the door, meet someone, and fall madly in love. Mm. But um, it, it's just not that easy uh, to to fall in love again 
Uh, yes, and it's never going to be the same. I mean, you're never going to recreate what you had before because it's it's unique, it, that, exactly. that relationship. And if it was particularly wonderful, maybe, you know, there was a, um, the King and I, where there was a song that the Anna sings in the beginning about her, her husband, who was also dead, and she sings, I had a love of my own. And that's very much how I feel. Hmm. I was very lucky, and I cherish the time we had together. After writing several nonfiction works, including two that recount the time you spent nursing your son, Sea Changes is your first novel in many years. Yes. How has writing this book helped you regain your life and your identity as a writer? Well, absolutely enormously, because I always thought of myself as a writer, and, and then after, especially after my son's accident, both the pressures on us and following my husband's death, the inability to write at all, were, were really devastating. And then to suddenly be able to create again, you know, to create a world, to create characters, to, to bring these things out of my imagination and make them real enough so that other people are believing in them too, talking about them. How long did that take you? Seven you know? years. Seven, and how did it happen? Did all of a sudden one day did you start writing again? No, I had been writing down my dreams in great detail. Um, mainly out of frustration because I couldn't write anything else. And at least I thought, well, I'm writing down something that's imaginary. And then one day I sort of stumbled in my dreams upon my character, Sarah, and I wrote her down. And I just kept following her, as it were, into the story. So the dream, the dreams are what opened you up to writing again. Yes, Absolutely. The dreams and also the writing them down and the thinking about them and keeping them in my mind and carrying in my mind these two worlds, the world that I lived in every day and the dream world where I was last night. And I could go back. I could go back into my dreams night after night, go back to the same world if I wanted now, to. Now, when you, during those seven years when you weren't writing, were you dreaming? Yes, Vividly. But you still, but you still couldn't get it on paper. It took that long. It took that long. How interesting! How interesting. So, what what advice would you give to someone listening to this program who's a widow or a widower who's really having trouble? I mean, really feeling such loss and devastation because they were married to their soulmate or they were with their soulmate. What would you say? First, I would say it'll get better. And be kind to yourself while you're going through this. Don't, don't push yourself too hard. There's no time limit on grieving. Uh, it, it isn't a nice orderly process like making a cake. You, you've, you've just got to give yourself as much time as you individually need, always remembering that it will get better. So don't give up because it will get better. And not only that, anything is possible. And as long as you hold that in your mind that idea that anything is possible, you, you will find that the world gradually turns into a, a brighter, and happier, and a more loving place. Mm. The important thing is, is not to give up. I think it was Winston Churchill who said, when you're going through hell, keep going. And that's very good advice. Mm. But with the belief that it will change. It will change. It will change. Absolutely, it will change. Tough question for you, but it's something that 
can help other people who are feeling tremendous loss. There's always a gift in everything, even though it's hard to see, particularly the, the more difficult the circumstance. What would you say was the gift in the loss of your husband? That is a tough question. I guess the answer would be it was the completion of his work because I was a very insecure and frightened little person when I married my husband. And he was the one who always encouraged me, who encouraged me to write, who encouraged me to go back to the university, who encouraged me to get my Ph.D. He always told me, yes, you can, yes, you can, yes, you can. And then he left me, he died. And And you did all those things he said. And yes, I can. He was right. I can. He made me strong enough to be whole. And in that, in that loss, speak to us about being alone versus being lonely. Oh, that's a good question. A world of difference. Uh, being lonely is missing someone, is missing that companionship. And that, that's awful. That's painful. Um, that's a longing. That's a hurt and an ache inside of you. But being alone, I've discovered being alone is nice. Being alone is different. I, I was never alone until my husband died. I, I don't think many women are. You, you grow up in your family's home. You go to school. You live in a dormitory. You graduate. You you know share an apartment with someone. And you get married. Mm-hmm. And you don't really spend time alone. Uh, I was lonely. I was terribly lonely because I missed my husband for years. But... Uh, I don't mind being alone, and in fact, in recent years, I've rather come to cherish it because there are certain things you can do when you're alone that you can't do when you have a partner. Well, and also, too, you had a very beautiful relationship, which is a gift. Not everybody can say that, and you know that, Gail. Oh, I know that. So that was very special. All right, we're going to take a break. My guest is Gail Graham, and she is the author of this very poignant and touching novel, Sea Changes. It's a passionate look at one woman's struggle with grief after loss of her husband and independence. And uh, it basically inspires us to believe that ultimately anything is possible. When we come back, we're going to talk more to Gail about the novel and about um, the inspiration to write Sea Changes and more about the book itself. You can give us a call at 866-472-5787. You're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. 
Dance is Life. Life is Dance broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desk, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Son, we got to talk about drinking. Uh, I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all, before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking, and keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. You can still call us at 866-472-5787. My guest is Gail Graham. She is a very interesting woman. Her novel is Sea Changes. It's her seventh book. Her novel, Crossfire, has been translated into many different languages. She was awarded one of Germany's most prestigious literary prizes, and three of her books were New York Times Book of the Year recommendations. And this book is really explores one woman's experience with loss, the death of her husband, written by someone who has been there. And Gail Graham has experienced loss firsthand. She's a widow. She's been 20 years nursing her quadriplegic son after a traumatic accident, only to lose him as well. Her book is, is really quite beautiful. In Sea Changes, Sandra Andrews is a widow who desperately tries to cope with the loss of her husband. As she's swimming out to sea to commit suicide, she discovers an underworld whose inhabitants become a powerful source of comfort, hope, and love. And when she finds herself back on the beach, she wonders if that experience was a dream. As her worlds land on land and sea collide, and intertwine with the impossible, Sarah's emotional battle between grief and hope, between remembrance and moving on, ends climactically. Welcome back, Gail. Hi. Um, let's talk about one of the things you were telling me during the break that I found very interesting is that there are so many novels that are genre novels that are either romance or they're action, um, but they're, they're not this kind of novel. And so 
you were looking for something in which you could have a really true discussion. Explain that and explain the difference between a genre novel and your novel and about discussion groups. Well, I love books and I love reading, but I do not read genre fiction. And by genre fiction, I mean categories that we usually define as romance or science fiction or thriller or um, ghost story uh, or horror, those kind of genres. Um, And I don't read them because they're formula fiction and and you know how they're going to end. And that's one of the reasons lots of people do read them, because they're very comforting. On the first page, you know how it's going to finish up. But I don't enjoy them, and I wanted to write a book that I and my friends, who also don't read genre fiction, would enjoy. So it had to be a book that was a bit different, that mixed the genres, and that's what I've done. In Sea Changes, you could call it um, fantasy. Someone has called it chick lit. Someone else called it a whodunit. Someone else called it a psychological thriller. It's all of those things. It's written in a way that the reader is inside the book kind of looking out through Sarah's eyes rather than outside the book reading it so that much of what happens depends on the reader. And that's the kind of book book discussion groups like to discuss because there's something there too to discuss. What What's really happening here? And, and that's what you have. And that's what I, that was my goal. And are people discussing it? Are there discussion groups? Are you hearing from people? Uh, not from discussion groups yet because the book has only been out for um, about a month. But certainly the reviewers who've reviewed it are reflecting the fact that, yes, this is this, you can't pin this book down. This is different. This is really different. And they're liking it, which is a very good sign, I think. Absolutely, yes. Well, it's different because it's uh, it's also real and it really can help people, but it's a novel, so you yes. really enjoy reading it as well. Yes, you can lose yourself in it, and it isn't in any way depressing, even though it is about a widow and it's about widowhood. There is nothing depressing about it, and in parts it's quite funny. Right. What was the writing process like after seven years of being away from it? Well, at first it was enormously invigorating. Oh, it was wonderful, and I, I'd spent eight hours at a, at a stretch writing And then I got through the first draft, and then the hard part started, which is revising it. And that's the hard part, because... Did you have guidance with that? Did you have an editor looking at that? At the very end, after, I guess, about four years, um, I submitted the manuscript to um, a competition by a place called the Editorial Department, and the first prize of that competition was a line edit by Rennie Brown, who's one of the greatest editors in America. And I, I didn't think I'd win, but I thought, well, at least I'll, I'm going to find out what they think because one of the things you got was a brief critique, and I won. So mm. the book was edited by Rennie Brown, which was a privilege, uh, a total privilege, and one of the most exciting creative experiences I've ever had in my entire life. It had to make you feel terrific. Oh, yes, and she is brilliant, and she brought the best out of this book after I thought I'd finished it, after I thought I'd made it as good as it could be. Um, she showed me how to make it a thousand times better. Mm, isn't that great? We have a few minutes left. Um, what would you say to people who want to become writers? What would you say to people about writing in general? Oh, this this is a wonderful time if you want to become a writer because everything is changing. And 
the, the gatekeepers are vanishing. The, the new technology has made it possible for anyone, you know, to, to have a go, to, to, to write something and see it published and get it out there onto the market and let, let it be judged. But having said that, I would say that editing is terribly important. Um, but now when you say that, it, that you can get it out there, you're talking about self-publishing? They're not only self-publishing, but there are hundreds and hundreds of small independent publishers who are doing maybe two or three books a year. Uh, and they are very receptive to things that are new and different because those things can make money for them as publishers. And the new technology has made it very easy for these kinds of publishers to exist. You don't need huge warehouses and massive... So what you're saying is don't be discouraged because so many people are discouraged. It's very difficult, as you know to get book published from major houses. Oh, yes, that is, and especially in this economic climate, it's, it's almost impossible. And even if, you, even if you pull off that trick, and remember, I had my first six books were published by major houses, um, you, you will find that you won't get the support, um, you won't have any control. Um, often books just come out. Uh, they're in the catalog, they go out to all the bookstores, they sit there for three months, they go back to the warehouse, they get pulp, that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I would say to a, a first-time writer, by no means uh, focus totally on the great big huge publishing conglomerates because there are so many other ways to get your book out there. And, get and they can find that by going online to small publishers. Any tips for people? Oh, yes. I mean, small publishers, There's there's the... Uh, independent Book Publishing Association, and I think they've got thousands of members. Uh, and again, some are so small they do maybe two books a year. Some do five or ten books a year. So some... go to the Independent Publishing Association. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I Wonderful. mean, there are just so many, so many avenues. All right, your message, your message about sea changes and your message for widows and your message in general. What would you like to leave our listeners with today, Gail? Anything is possible. No matter how bad it looks now, anything is possible. Just believe. Believe in yourself. Believe in hope. Believe in tomorrow. And you'll find anything is possible. I really appreciate this. This is a lovely interview, I must tell you. Really lovely. Thank Thank you. you. Yes, and stay on the line. My guest is Gail Graham, author of six books published in the United States and in Australia where she lived and worked for 32 years. Her latest novel is Sea Changes. And it's a, it's a passionate look at women's struggle with grief and independence. Um, Gail, how can people find you, uh, your website? Yes, my website is at www.gailgraham.net. Okay. And, of course, on Amazon.com, I have an author's page there as well. Okay. And can people write you? Oh, yes, I'd love that. And you will definitely answer them. I will definitely answer them. Oh, that's wonderful. And if they have questions about writing, they can write you as well. All right, folks, I want to say thank you so much, Gail, for being on the program. Stay on the line. Folks, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific, I'm Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. Positive Living. Have a great Monday and a great week.
Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's book, Pathfindings, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. And tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.